think we on to something. Yeah, I think we on to something. Let's go. Waking up early, I'ma never be late. Writing what I want, like y'all better relay. Then we're celebrating life till we better see straight. They trying to hold me back, but I'll never delay. Nah, I never delay. Nah, I never delay. That type of music make them wanna replay. Nah, I never delay. Nah, I never delay. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Coach's Call. Today, I have Coach Tope Ali Belogan here from uh, Barking Abbey Academy. Uh, he's had a great career in coaching here in the UK. Been involved with Great Britain women's under sixteen or girls under 16. He's been leading the UEL basketball program in recent years to success, uh, been involved since graduating at the University of Worcester, been involved with the Dan Clark basketball camp, um, and several other things that he's working on in the community and other projects. Welcome to the show, Topay. Thank you for having me, it's much appreciated. <laughs> Great. Great to have you on today. Uh, give a little introduction to yourself, to the community here in the UK. Um, so, uh, I'm currently working at the University of East London. Uh, I've been there for four seasons now. Um, I'm also a part of uh, Barking Abbey Basel Academy, like Coach Clive said, which is a fun experience always. So I kind of do those two things during the season. And then in the summertime is usually reserved for national team kind of activities, I guess. Is that, that would be the basketball overview, I guess, of the whole year. That's great stuff, coach. Um, good to hear that you're active and you're keeping busy, especially at this time. Um, so let's go and start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? How did you get into the game of basketball? So I kind of had a, what's the phrase? A, a split living childhood is the way I'd describe it. So I was born in East London. So I was living in between like Stratford and Forest Gate and uh, Plasto for a little bit, but mostly in Forest Gate. So I was there for, all, for some time but I was simultaneously living and going to school in a little town in Essex called Stanfordly Hope. So I was there um, because I was part, not part of, I guess you would describe it as uh, private foster care, I guess. So my parents were working obviously full time and stuff like that. And my dad was back and forth from Nigeria. So he wasn't around all the time. So during the week, I was living in Essex and going to school and stuff like that. And then the weekends going back to Forest Gate and, and so on in some variation of that until I was, well, until my parents moved to Essex as well. So yeah, I was there for a while. And then like basketball wise, I, I um, started when I was 11. I guess, like, maybe a little bit before that. Maybe, like, year five, so it's, like, ten, maybe. Um, just doing basketball club in primary school in Abbott Hall. So we did basketball there. Some guys from London Leopards, or 
yeah, they were London Leopards at that time. They uh, came to school, did some sessions with us. Like, I think it was just a couple of taster sessions. So we had a term of that and I kind of was into it, but I never really took it seriously. I was like 10. And then when I went to secondary school, we had, uh, I wasn't really a fan of uh, PE, let's say. It was quite, I liked activities, but I was uh, quite the fat kid. So um, me and sport didn't agree too, too well. But basketball was kind of the thing that tipped me in a direction of enjoying sports more, like and building confidence and that kind of stuff. And then pretty much from year seven to 11, we had a basketball club with Mr. Harvey, like once a week. And then um, we, probably not from year seven, but from like year eight, we were going to the park like every day after school for like two, three hours or whatever. And then hanging out and that kind of stuff. And then that's when we started to get into, we should take it a bit more seriously play, try and play National League, play for a club, that kind of thing. So in Essex, I bounced around quite, not bounced around, but where we live, there's no basketball. Like it doesn't really exist. So we're traveling to Brentwood for a long time. Wickford was our place to go. And they were kind of our stomping grounds. We tried to go to East London, but the journeys is like a lot and stuff. So yeah, that's pretty much where we ended up. So Wickford Knights is kind of where I played the most basketball, I guess, as a junior. So, yeah, that's pretty much me in the beginning, I guess. Would you say there's more opportunity now in that area? In that it's, it's in Essex, right? So um, do you think there's more yeah. clubs available? It's more aware, uh, people are more aware of basketball? Um, so there's actually quite a good history of basketball in Essex, just not where I live. So... Mm-hmm. Like now it's it's kind of changed like geographically, but so South End Swifts and South End Scorpions and Saints were the big programs in Essex, like in my side of Essex, kind of. But for me to get to South End is if you're driving, like where they practice is like 40 minutes drive from my house, which isn't a lot if you're the one doing the driving. But obviously parents are not trying to do that at nine o'clock at night and stuff like that. So that was a challenge. But where I am specifically in Farrakh, there's there's been like comings and goings of teams, which is helpful, but never to the level that really produces like high quality talent, if that makes sense. So like, for instance, now there's a club called Farrakh Hornets which is like the only basketball team in Thurrock. So they cater for a lot of uh, juniors, like boys and girls and stuff like that. So they're building like a program, but it's not this, it's not because it doesn't have as much of a storied history and there's challenges of being in this area. Like it's not as big as some of the other clubs. Like Brentwood Fire is only like 35 minutes away from where I am, but you can't get the train there. You can't get the bus there. So it's a bit awkward as well. It's like, it's some of the problems in Essex is transportation. Like you can only go certain places quickly, if that makes sense. But it's, it's, it's improving. Like there's more options than when I was a kid. So it's good. It is good. I think you mentioned before about 
the London Leopards coming to your primary mm-hmm. school. Um, and this yeah. is probably going to be more of a, a coaching, say, uh, lead over program question to you. Um, don't you think that's so important that the clubs at the top give back to the local communities and, and the primary schools around? Because you can see that has an everlasting effect, isn't it? You always remember mm-hmm. that. Um, and it helps spread awareness about sports. I know clubs are doing it already, but do you, um, it should be one of the main priorities, one of the main actions that a club should be uh, willing to do and, 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 and take upon the community. What do you think? I think 100% I'm with you. I think it's really important that you're trying to inspire the next generation after you, like whether you're a professional player or a junior, like, I think about when you ask that question, I think about like when our kids, like during the season, they do the, what's it called? Um, the, the, like the, the borough read, like the, you know, London youth games. Yes. So before they get to that point, the school's competition, they have to do the borough tournament of all the primary schools, basically. So there's like a hundred and something kids in these two gyms, embarking and like our kids referee a lot of those competitions and some of my favorite memories from being at barking is when at the end of the tournament the kids are giving out the medals and that kind of stuff and then they kind of get um asked to deliver like a not a motivational speech but like (laughs) just impart some words and some advice and that kind of stuff because like the kids pay attention like the little kids they really listen to someone that looks like a basketball player more than i could say to them like they wouldn't listen to me but like when it's coming from someone they're like wow that's a real player obviously we have kids that are like seven feet tall and stuff like that and like we have girls that are like six three and for another female to see a girl that's six three they're like oh she's comfortable in her skin and oh this is how you can be this is what i can do like i think it's really important like, and I know, like, can Crusaders do the same for, like, the like their area? Like, their kids referee and help organise and do some of the junior competitions? I think it's super important. Like, because in it, kids love players. Like, this is just a fact. Kids love players. So it's important, for sure, 100%. I think the life skills and the practical skills they learn from that experience you mentioned, you know, speaking mm. in front of a crowd, trying to inspire the, the future generations, these are things that they can carry onto in their careers, rather than, yes, it's the basketball, yes, uh, they are trying to be the best they can be in their training, but they need to learn these off-court skills because it was, it's, it's what makes them an athlete isn't it uh, a, a total athlete it's just everything the whole package in a way yeah for sure like when you go to like it's funny that the kids do that kind of stuff and then when they go to the states they have like more prescribed duties to do like a lot of the kids depending on the schools obviously like they go to read to like primary school classes and they're doing things about education and they're up in front of 20 kids and obviously it's embarrassing the first couple of times you do it, but it kind of gives them an insight into what the future might give to them, like some challenges and some obstacles and things. So it's cool, like, because in life, you never know what you're going to be. Like at this age, especially, you don't know what you're going to be. So giving them as many skills as possible is, is super important. Like, and 
is important to me anyway, for sure. So um, following on that note, as you said, mm. you're at a young age, you don't know what you're going to do. You actually study sports coaching at the University of Worcester and you ended up being a basketball coach. Did you know that you were going to get into coaching? That's quite a, to me, that's a, uh, it seems like a, a seamless path, isn't it? You seem like you've flowed through into coaching since you were young. Tell me more about that. Um, I, let me start with this. I would say if I was in a situation in another country, perhaps, I think I would have been pushed into coaching earlier because I was a rubbish player. So like I could play enough to be like competitive and like, I wasn't that bad, but not good enough to be a real player. So I think if I was somewhere else, I probably would have got pushed into coaching a little earlier, which would have been fantastic. But I'm a very self-aware person, but I cannot claim credit for the way that things turned out. So before I went to Worcester University, so I wasn't even supposed to go there. I was supposed to go to Portsmouth and do a sports coaching course there. But then essentially they didn't have enough people for the course. And they were like, well, do you want to do like, what was it? Essentially an aquatics course instead. So like scuba diving and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, like that's not anything to do with what I applied for, but thanks anyway. So then Worcester was my second choice. So it was not deliberate that I ended up there. And then I, it's quite funny. I, when I knew that I was going to Worcester, I, uh, I was self-aware, but I was a bit of a, a chancer, let's say. So I emailed the coach of the BBL team and I was like, um, hi, I'm coming to Worcester. Um, yeah, I know I, def I definitely can't start for your team, but uh, I, def I can probably play on the bench. Um, so just let me know. And then that was it. And I was like, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, what the hell was I doing? Like, I didn't really have, because of where I'm from, I don't really have any context to the level of basketball in the country, you know? Like, I didn't really realise the level of what the BBL was at the time. I was just like, well, it's going to be a bit harder than National League, isn't it? Like, it'll be all right. I'll manage. <laughs> but obviously, that was not the case. So, obviously, and rightly so, they ignored the email. Um, but, yeah, I got there and I saw the team and, started, and I was like, okay, yeah, I understand now. But I wasn't, it wasn't, I went there and I was like, I'm going to be a coach. It wasn't until, I don't know, maybe my, this, my second year of university, like I was watching a practice of the Worcester Wolves, like under 16 team. And I was like, I was watching their practice and I'm like, huh, this is interesting. And I was, and it, I don't know how, I was just, I guess I had an epiphany of sorts. And I was like, oh. I can coach this team better than that because I was just watching like me. I like to watch basketball just in general. So I was just sitting watching practice by myself because I'm like that. And then I was like, Oh, I think I could coach this team better. And literally from that day, I was like, Oh, I think I should be a coach. And then that was it. And then I helped start a third team at the university. So then I coached that team like with someone else and, like, that's kind of what got me started, I guess. I mean, it's great to be in that, in that space, isn't it? A professional space of the University of Worcester. Um, 
like you said, you can network, see, and walk into, say, professional practices under 16s, mm. as you said, uh, well-formed practices with top coaches. Uh, that's is, is in a way you can gain your inspiration. Um, so now you're in the University of Worcester. Yeah. Um, you're starting teams, you're coaching, you're trying to get experience. It shows that leadership already. Um, what was it like? I think that was a time where it was the golden years. Was it Was it the golden years of University of Worcester? They were winning box championships year after year in a certain span yeah. of time. Yeah, like that time is when... Ooh, let me go back. So that's when when I was there. It was uh, Damien Cope was there. Uh, Roy Owen from Bristol Flyers was there. Uh, Michael Gale was there. Was Courtney uh, there at the time? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Shout, shout Courtney out was Courtney. there. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jack O'Keefe was there. Brendan Okoronkwo was there. Joe Dak. Like the team was pretty good. Like. And this, those guys plus the BBL guys. So, like, Anthony Paez and all those ballers, like, the team was really good at that time. Not winning loads in the BBL, like, a little bit, but not loads. But in Bucks, they were pretty dominant. Like, they were, they were really good. Like, oh, Andrew Wallace was there at that time as well. Like, the team was pretty strong, to be fair. Like, so it's like, they were winning. I'm trying to think how many years... I can't remember if it was three or four years. Yeah, in a I row. think they did a they did a free peak, I remember. Yeah, I, and, then, I, I think. and then they lost and then they won. Oh, I'm trying to think who it was. Because that's when Harry Dizzy was there as well. Like like the team was good, but they 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 won a couple in a row, then they lost, and they won another couple, and then like they were pretty dominant there for a while. And it was it was around that time, I guess, Hoops Fix kind of started. And he wrote an article, like I remember, because my, someone that I wasn't living with, but was like in our circle of friends, started an argument with Sam about how um, should BBL teams be Bucks Premier teams, essentially. I can't remember the, the wording of the article, but that's essentially what it was, was programs like Worcester, like other teams are trying to emulate this, blah, 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 blah should they be in a separate competition from just bucks and that's when like hootswick was taking off and stuff so i remember my housemate very much getting into it with sam which was quite entertaining at the time because i didn't really know sam at that time just from like passing and basketball circles and stuff but i never really knew him like that but it's kind of interesting because it comes up i guess but now i guess it's more commonplace that universities yeah. and bbl teams are more aligned yeah I mean, you're working with a, a university that is aligned with a BBL team. Mm. Um, and it's an interesting dis discussion because it goes in the, the whole pathway discussion as well, isn't it? How players mm. here can can grow and, and uh, evolve into from uni to, to pro because that's ultimately what a lot of the players are doing. And if these pathways are evident, and as you said, if they're aligned with the club and the mm. university, it kind of makes that pathway easier for these athletes. Yeah. Um, so being around the University of Worcester at this time, um, as I call it, a golden era in a way, um, mm. you must have absorbed everything at that time. You know, coaches, players, top level athletes. Um, what was that like being at the University of Worcester? Um, it was an experience. I'll say that Worcester is a special place. 
and anyone that's been there like they understand what i mean like it's 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 like you live inside of a bubble like it's very strange to be honest it's like i love also like it's a beautiful place but it is a weird place at the very same time <laughs> it's very strange especially coming from like the south going to yeah. worcester is 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 different but i i like to align it um in terms of like players and stuff it definitely gave me an understanding of level and athleticism like like elite level athleticism like it gave me an understanding of that but in terms of coaching honestly i didn't absorb anything at that time i was too stupid to know to even take anything in if that makes sense like i wasn't watching like games and practices and stuff like that really understanding what was happening if that makes sense like i watch yeah. practice all the time like it's just kind of i don't know like i'm weird like that. i like watching basketball just in any context so i can watch it and it's like oh that's cool but i never really processed the information until much 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 later than after i was in worcester is when i really started to understand basketball but in the beginning like i knew oh this is how you shoot a layup blah blah, blah all this kind of stuff like i understood that but on a deeper level, I, I just wasn't even close. So I didn't really get to maximize the opportunities to learn in Worcester for definite. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's completely true. It's, it's understanding the whys, isn't it? Why do mm. we do these things? Uh, why yeah. do they, uh, for example, if you observe a practice, uh, as you evolve as a coach and you understand and, and get more into your craft, it's the why, isn't it? The reasoning behind it. How does it, uh, there's so much technicalities involved. How does it, mm. you know, implement into your philosophy? How does it in, implement to your game plans, etc.? cetera? Um, and again, when I first started coaching, yeah, let's just do three man weave because that will just get a sweat. Do you, do you see what I mean? And oh yeah, yeah. This, is a lay, this is a layup drill. And it's, yeah. it's interesting. Um, but now in a way you understand how the student is because when you told me you, you wrote an email letter to the coach, you probably get several of those letters now in UEL, right? People coming in. It, <laughs> it, it comes up it. sometimes, yeah. <laughs> it, it does come up sometimes, yeah. So I, I have sympathy for those people. Yeah, I exactly. Exactly. Because I get them all the time. And mm. I always say, it's, I always ask for game tape now or I ask mm. for like one-to-one -one session. Do you want to come down and have a session if they have that mm. background? But yeah, that's another talk for recruitment, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. So now you've graduated from the University mm. of Worcester sports coaching. You know, it sounds like you had a fantastic time there. Um, met some great people. Uh, got your degree which is very very important what's next for you Tope um how did you get into say your first club coaching and and what, what was your moves after graduating so because I'm quite uh one I'm quite lucky that I had the opportunity to be living at home after university which I guess for most people coming out of university now is the case so I was quite lucky in that sense, but I knew that I wanted to coach basketball. So when I finished university, I, so I actually stayed in Worcester for another year to help with coaching and stuff like that. So I stayed in Worcester for another year. So I was working in like a club, Argos, Jade, no, what was it called at the time? JJB, 
uh, like I, I was working a bunch of different jobs. I was a cleaner. I did everything, just pay rent and just crack on with coaching basically. So then I was there for that year. And then when I came back, I was essentially starting from scratch because I didn't really know anyone when I was here, like in the South, I didn't really know people like that. So the first jobs I guess I had, I was coaching in Kent. What's that place called? It's like in the South of Kent. So it's not like close to where I live. So I was traveling like almost two hours there by bus. So one train, no, two buses and one train to get there. And uh, I was making 15 pound an hour coaching for Premier Sport. I was doing like one or two sessions a week or whatever. But I was <laughs> not making really any money. I was, well, I was making like, after all the travel costs, I was making like two pound a session, essentially. But I was like, well, I want to coach in it. So it's kind of what you got to do. So I was doing that for a little bit. And then a little bit into that, I was working at JD. So I was doing like a lot of shift work at JD, which is nice because I like shoes and stuff. So I wasn't really complaining at that time. Um, so I was working there and doing a little bit of coaching. And then after that is kind of when the ball got rolling. Because I never coached in a club. in Like I've never actually worked in a junior club properly let me say like I've worked with teams before but I've never actually been the coach of the team if that makes sense so it wasn't until I was what was that so they had the Jordan Brand Classic at UEL and Sam Neater lad who runs Hoops Fix I sent him a message and I was like ah oh, I haven't got anything to do basically so if you need anything like help or whatever, just shout me. I'm like, if it's in London, I could probably get there. It's basically the message that I sent to him. And then like sometime later, I was like, oh yeah, the Hootsfix, Hootsfix classic, <laughs> the Children Brand Classic is happening this weekend. Come down, help out with filming and stuff like that. So then I went down, I just helped with filming and kind of anything he needed. And then we was just talking over lunch or whatever. and we were talking about the future and that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a coach. Like, I think I want to get into coaching a bit more seriously, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, Lloyd Gardner's coming down today who works at Barking. And he's like, I can introduce you if you want. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I had awareness of Barking because it started the same time as I started college. And me and my friends were talking about, oh, maybe we should apply, blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. So I had some awareness of it, but I didn't really understand the program. <clears throat> But so Sam kind of made the connection there. So definitely I owe a lot to Sam. Um, so then I met Lloyd that day. I think the next week we uh, arranged a meeting and I went into school to meet with him and Mark. And then that's how I started at Barking basically in 2012, March 2012. That's when we got rolling on that one. And then so ever since I've been there basically doing other stuff as well, but that's kind of where I've been. You're embarking now. Um, shout out Sam and Hoops Fix, by the way. Um, so you're embarking. Um, oh. You've met Lloyd Gardner, coach. Uh, what's it like to be part of a program like Barking Abbey? You know, as you said, you had no experience. You coached in here and there, but being part of a say structured basketball program, 
um, mm. this will probably be your first, right? So describe that experience of just shadowing, you know, learning, because a lot of, I feel the future generations need to hear, you know, um, what your story, especially because you really grafted from, from the beginning, you know, and it shows that you have to, to want to learn and be a student of the game. And yeah. uh, you yeah. always have to be a student um, because this is how we get those opportunities. Uh, so explain more about the, the Barking Abbey side. So obviously I'm a volunteer there. So I guess for a lot of people, that's quite daunting to go into a place and be a volunteer because I think there's a bit of a stigma around volunteering that you're not the same, but I can, obviously I can't speak for everywhere, but I know when I started at Barking, you're, once you're in, you're in. Like that's kind of how it is. Like you're not, the volunteer coach you're a coach essentially but obviously your responsibilities are different but it's you're not you're essentially part of the staff from when you begin like obviously in the beginning I'm quite a quiet and reserved person so me I came in at 11 o'clock the days that I wasn't working I came in at 11 and watched uh Dayan and Oshby's uh, individual because they were coaching there at the time as well coaching the leopards team and like working with the academy so i would watch their practices and like dayan was like i don't know if he's coaching this well not this season but like before he was coaching in the euro cup like since he left barking he's coaching in the euro cup so obviously he's a well-regarded coach um so i would watch their individuals then lloyd and mark and i don't think who else was there at that time Lloyd, yeah, maybe Lloyd and Mark were the only ones, other ones there at that time. Um, so I watched their individuals and stuff, which was interesting because they're so different, but so similar at the same time. Like I can say Dan and Osri's individuals are very, a specific way, like a very specific way. And then Mark and Lloyd's are different than that but they're both different from each other. That makes sense. Like the styles of coaching are very different. Like, and I think a lot of the players from Barking will acknowledge how different Mark and Lloyd are, but they kind of get to the same goals a lot of the time, if that makes sense. So it's yes. a, it's an interesting, it's been an interesting eight years now, I guess, like just learning and the coaches that come through, like, it's been a it's been a blessing for me because it's given me a lot of opportunities to learn from really good coaches. Like just in my time there, like obviously Dan and Osby, Mark, Lloyd, James, Ricky, uh, Louis Gill was there for a couple of years, who's coaching in uh, China at the moment and was working with a Spanish uh, national team, like the senior men's, like there's been some really good coaches like Karen's been there. Frank's been there. Like there's been a, and Kenrick, like there's been a lot of coaches that have gone through there that I've been able to pick something from. Like definitely it's been a, it's been a blessing in that regard for sure. So when you said you started, was that around 2012 then? Cause you said you've been there around for eight years. Yeah. So I started March, 2012, did a couple months there. And then I worked, in uh, the Great Britain, like basketball training facility for the Olympics. So I just applied for that, like a volunteer role or whatever, but like this is a cool experience. So then I did some time there in the summer. So then that's kind of how I 
became a bit more familiar, had a bit more understanding of the level of the players and that kind of stuff, which was cool. It was a good experience. As you mentioned with the coaches, you know, it's, it's great points that you said, Tope. Um, and I, I, I'm seeing like a, a pattern between successful programs. You know, coaches have their different styles, but they align together mm. ultimately for the, for the goal and say, would you say like the mission statement of, of what the program is standing for. And I think that's yeah. very important. Um, and it's a testament to uh, Barking Abbey because yeah. as you said, my, my um, experience with volunteers, they come for two, three weeks, maybe a mm. month, and then they go. Because <laughs> yeah. um, as you said, it's the finance factor, it's the time factor. Um, but as you mentioned, some great coaches have gone, come through the Barking Abbey program, which shows there is a community, there is, uh, in a way, uh, between the coaches, that they all learn off each other. And there's a reason, you know, and, and that reason, yeah. as you mentioned, is the experience that you get, the network that you get. Um, and it just sounds like a fantastic culture, in a way, yeah. that the coaches have built at Barking Abbey. Would you agree on that and give more insight? 100% I agree on that. And when you were saying that, it brought like a couple of memories, I guess, even from just this season of times when we were so not thinking alike, but we were just on the same page. Like, so the first game we won, the Division One women, the, the team that I coach, the first game we won this year in Bristol, we... I can't even remember how it happened, but uh, Coach Dave Lavinia came with us. He doesn't normally coach with our team, but he came with us. And uh, we... Um, we, in my opinion, I don't think we're nearly as successful in that game if he isn't there for that game. Because he, because that was a, it was a bit of a, it was a mad game. We ended up winning in overtime, but it was a, it was a, it was a very fun game. Um, but like he gave some pointers, some that I took, some that I didn't take. But having someone with you on the bench that you're like, okay, I trust this person. They're not, they have no other agenda other than the success of the players, you know? And that's not necessarily always winning and losing. Sometimes it's like, okay, this player needs to learn this and this player needs to learn that. And it's like comforting, I guess, to know that there's people around you all the time that are supporting in that way and that kind of have your back and have the back of the players. Like, that's one example. The other one that I think of, which was, I maybe our last game before the lockdown, we played against Solon at Solon and Coach Ricky came with us. So me, Ricky and Damien all went to this game. Obviously I'm coaching, we're playing pretty well. Like first half we played great, like we're really in the game. Third quarter we're still in the game, we're doing all right. And then it gets to like the fourth quarter and we're like in the game, but we're just struggling to score. And then something happens. I think it's like a couple seconds left on the clock in just like a possession where we're struggling to score. It's just a bit of a rough time for us in the game. And I'm talking with Ricky and Damien and Ricky's like, oh, I got something for this out of bounds. And he's like, uh, do you want to use it? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you want me to draw it up? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm like, if it's going to help us be successful, why would I ever be against it? You know, like, 
And I think some coaches would find that difficult to let go of the reins. You know what I mean? Like it's, you have to have a lot of trust in people to be like, yeah, okay, do your thing. And it's not me saying, oh, I'm such a great coach. I'm so accepting of everyone. That's not what I mean. I mean, like, being able to trust someone to be like, okay, this person has the best interest of the players at heart. Go and do your thing to help us be the best that we can be. Like, for me, that's very important. Like, I'm not saying that happens all the time, but there are times that it might happen. And I've seen James do exactly the same thing. Where Rick, even it was actually Ricky that time as well. He's like, oh, I got this thing, and Ricky's drawing it up for them. You know, like sometimes it's it's a blessing having so many good voices that are all rowing the boat in the same direction. You know, it's it's a blessing for the players and the coaches alike. And it good some some fantastic points, Tope. Um, and it goes to me. Um, I think the difficult roles that coaches have uh, everyone thinks a head coach is a difficult role which it is uh, understandably yeah. but i believe an assistant coach is mm. just as difficult because i was speaking to coaches yeah. even at the the pro level um, and they mm. they sometimes as an assistant coach you know do you come in and like you said do you undermine the coach or do you come in and give your advice? How do you approach that? Do you just go there to kind of, you know, high five the players, support them? Or do you, do you build that, like in Barking Abbey, I feel there is that trust, as you mentioned, and that relationship that's built over time, which allows the coaches to work collaboratively um, for yeah. the end goal. Um, and that's the thing. I've spoken to some assistant coaches and I just don't think they build that trust and their relationship mm. with the other coaches that they, they can say those opinions and that they, that they can trust. And which, which is why I really look up, in a way, to the Barking Abbey program. Because I remember, for example, Coach Lloyd got Coach of the Year. And the first thing he says is, I wouldn't be able to do it with my, my assistant coaches, such as yourself, Tope. Um, yeah. I think, I, I can't remember if that was the National League Coach of the Year or it was a, I believe it was. Um, but again, it's, it's a collective effort. And I think that's what yeah. some people don't realize. You know, they only yeah. see, like you said, the head coach, they see uh, the person in charge. But those little stories, as you mentioned, to me, they're the game changers, you know, because we, as a head coach, you, you only see it through your eyes. Uh, it's always great and a, a kind of like a fresh breath, fresh air to get a, a, a clean perspective, um, yeah. which is great. Uh, so now you're Barking Abbey. Uh, tell us more about the, the opportunities that you had in Barking Abbey, uh, the different teams that you coached. Um, kind of any exciting memories. So you've been involved with, at one point with the WBBL program at BA London Lions, I believe. Uh, talk more about the opportunities that you've had with the program. So obviously this is year eight now. So the first two years, I guess, I wasn't with any teams because I was working at JD at the weekends. Um, so I wasn't with any teams. I was just in practices and stuff like that and around on Wednesdays. So in the beginning, that's what I was doing. So I wasn't really with any teams. And then after that, the first team I was with, is that the first team? I, I'm not sure if it's actually the first team, but it kind of makes sense in my brain now. So the first team I ended up going with, I guess, was Lloyd's team. 
to um yeah when we was in division one is that right huh yeah i've never really thought about it like i don't really think about that in that it's way been, it's been so yeah. long and a lot has happened so yeah <laughs> like that's actually nah, it sounds right though the timeline in my mind it kind of makes sense because 14 16 is josh Steele and them lot so yeah i guess that was the first team that i was really really with all the time was lloyd's team in division one men so that year we had josh quasi calvin Dwayne, carolus the year we won division one men is that the first year Nah, i think i've missed a year but maybe that was the first year i was with a team but um i so i was with them and we were doing okay obviously we ended up winning the playoffs so that was a good experience and then i was with lloyd again for division three yeah, yeah, that's right. So then I was with Division Three men at that time, and we, I think we lost quite a few games that season. So not an amazing season by any stretch, but I learned a lot to be honest in that season with um, Sam Wilson and Joe Cummins and those guys and Zeppi and that. And then after that, I was with Mark. I'm trying to think how many years I did. I was with the boys. So I think after that, maybe since then, I've been a lot with the girls, I think. So then after that, when the girls were playing in Division 1, I was a bit more involved with them then. Like sitting on the bench for games and being involved in practice and that kind of stuff. So, and then the first year of WBBL, I was, yeah, I was with them then as well. Like Savannah's year, Savannah, Abigail Johnson, those kind of kids. And then, then we entered Division One women with Karen was the head coach, so I was her assistant as well. So then I did that for two years, I guess we were in Division One with Karen as the head coach. And then the last two years, I've been the head coach of the Division One women's team. I think that's that's a lot of years. So I can't even. I'm not even sure if that's eight, but it <laughs> sounds about kind of right. So I've worked with the boys, the girls under all the head coaches apart from James but I've worked with James because in our first year so the year we won division one James came in like halfway into the season from Denmark and joined me and Lloyd so then we all ended up finishing the season as a trio of coaches I guess so yeah I got to coach a lot of different teams work with a lot of different players which was cool but like so in terms of opportunities, they're, for me, they're all opportunities. Like, they're fantastic. Like, it unlocked a lot of things for me in the sense of thinking basketball. But then, obviously, Dan Clark is Mark's son. So obviously, then we built some sorts of relationships. So then I ended up going to his camp. So that's cool. Um, we got to go to Madrid a couple of years. And obviously, working with Luis and things. So that's fantastic like that's a lot of great opportunities and then i don't know maybe from there is when i started to get more what's the word outgoing let's say so so i worked at dan's camp because i kind of just asked can i work at the camp this is kind of how it went so i just asked him i was like can you work at the camp so i ended up working at that camp which was wicked like the years that we did dcb was really good and then i went to Kieran Achara's camp in Scotland 
the first year they did it, which then unlocked a whole bunch of other doors for me, which was fantastic. But that was another, I literally just messaged Kira and I was like, um, do you need any coaches? Uh, I'll get there. Don't worry about that. I'll get there. Can you find me somewhere to stay? That's really all I really need to know. And he was like, yeah, we'll figure something out. So then I ended up going to that camp. And then that's, to be honest, that's kind of how I do everything is I just email someone and say, can I come? And that's, and I, I don't really worry about the expenses and the money side of things. I'm just like, if I really want to go, I'm going to figure out a way to get it done. Like that's kind of how I am. So yeah, it's opened a lot of doors for me for sure. For sure. I mean, for sure. building up that loyalty, building that time and effort with Barking Abbey, it, it just doesn't happen overnight, isn't it? Um, so these people, you know, the leaders of the camps definitely recognize that. Um, and it's all about building your name in a way, building your respect among the community, among the network, um, mm. that these opportunities do open up. And it's fantastic. You know, you've been involved in professional uh, players basketball camps, uh, being involved with the best, one of the best programs in, in the UK, in Barking Abbey. Um, so speak more about the WBBL. Um, so the, I was interested, you know, what was it like being an assistant coach in the WBBL? Did it feel different from like coaching at D1 or like the, or, or any other levels that you have? Um, I think it's different. Well, I think my experience was different because I went from working with Lloyd to working with Mark was probably the biggest difference. Not in like the level of division one women slash WBBL is obviously different because it's different genders, but the level is not wildly different, if you understand what mm. I mean. Yeah. Like the tax some of the tactical things and stuff like that is not they're not too estranged really. Like there's different there's obviously differences in athleticism and things like that and speed and whatnot. But in terms of like tactical and things like that it's kind of similar to be honest so it was more the adjustment from going from Lloyd to Mark because Mark coaches in a very different way than Lloyd does if, if that makes sense yeah. like so it's more there's more structure in the things he's delivering if that makes sense like there's more of a framework of how to build offense and these certain skills and those kind of things so that was different and Lloyd is Lloyd isn't different in that sense it's just the way he delivers it is different if that makes sense so a lot of the so, things the mm, concepts are very similar but it's just different the delivery I guess so it means that you have to kind of adjust your assistant role as well isn't it <laughs> in a way definitely yeah. 100% when, <laughs> when you are an assistant for Mark your role is very different because he interacts with players in a really specific way. So you have to essentially counterbalance the things that Mark is doing. He does things on purpose to get a specific reaction out of a player. He's very clever in this way. So he does things that get a certain reaction. And then your job as an assistant sometimes is to counterbalance that with something else to keep the player balanced, but focused, if that makes sense. So like Mark might like, he might say, uh, for example, you're wide open in the corner. Why didn't you shoot it? You got to shoot that, etc. Something like that. And then I might go to the player 
and then I might go with a different approach, asking the same question, you know, reinforcing his point and trying to create that understanding in the player of, okay, this is what Mark said. So I'm going to ask you the same thing in a different way, but we're trying to get the same information, the same thought processes going through your mind. If that, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. It does. <laughs> yeah. um, I know it's, a weird, it's weird to explain. It's, it, no, it's, 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 it's interesting because with, with coaches, um, it, again, how players have this, uh, they have to build this relationship with the coaches. They have this like, kind of player to player, you know, a player to coach relationship. Coaches have a coach to coach relationship. And people mm. don't realize that. Normally they just kind of see us, oh, they're the coaches. But we have to build that over time. It's understanding, you know, uh, certain times to come in, certain times to, to just let the coach do their thing. And as you said, being assistant coach, it's all about timing in a way as well. Um, mm. It's all about, um, as you said, uh, managing and understanding your head coach and trying to mm. push that, that, that message he's trying to deliver in, in, mm. and, and help him and support him where he needs. Um, but so, moving on uh, from Barking Abbey, uh, actually, before we move on from uh, Barking Abbey, how was your season this season? Uh, you mentioned it slightly quickly. It was quite successful, uh-huh. wasn't it? <laughs> um, it would depend. Across the board, like if we're encompassing all the teams, I would actually say we had a fantastic season because... On the boys' side, obviously, we had a lot of success. We played the, the Next Generation tournament, which was dope. Like, those things is fantastic. The boys were having a lot of success. And by success, I don't necessarily just winning. Like, you could see the change in the level of the players. Like, they were understanding more. They were improving, which is the key. And then on the girls' side, it was a very different kind of season for us. We had a lot of new players, like new to basketball players this year. So it was a different kind of challenge, but it was one of the most fun seasons I've ever had, like at Barking, because we had such a, we had a great blend of personalities, that's for sure. So it, uh, it brought around some interesting conversations and stuff like that. Like it's a very fun group, but the development of the girls from September to December was incredible. Like, in the beginning, like, we were terrible. Like, the girls know this, so it's not a secret. They were terrible. Like, we were all bad, all of us. And I was frustrated, and I was annoyed, and, like, and then we were just working at it. Like, I knew we were going to get to a, a level. Sooner or later, it was going to happen. Like, because we have some very talented players and some really good projects in there. So I knew it would come eventually. But... When it did, it was fantastic. And then we kind of were really starting to tick up after, from when we beat Bristol in Bristol in December, we really started to move forward. Like we, like our growth, obviously, because of confidence and things like that, started to improve a lot. And for the girls, like in schools competition, to go to Charmwood and beat Charmwood is a fantastic achievement. For them, like they should be really proud of themselves. Like that's a great win for them, you know, like, so I say it was it was a good year in that sense. Like we got much better. Like it makes me very excited for next season because mm-hmm. of the growth that we had this season. It's a shame we didn't get to finish everything off and stuff, but like it was a really fun season for us. What was your overall record at the end? Do you remember? We only in division one, we only won like <sighs> Bristol, Charmwood. We might have only won three games. 
I think we were like three and ten or twelve or something like that. I can't even remember. Something like that. But it's like some of the games, like we were close. Some of the games we were terrible. We weren't even close. But like some games we were close. Yeah, three games we won. Yeah, some games we were close, and it's just inexperience and mistakes and youth and those things like came out at the end of the game, and that's kind of why we lost. But it's not. To be honest, even the kids would probably tell you the record doesn't bother me that much. Like the only thing I actually care about is making the playoffs. Because if we make the playoffs, it means we get to play more games so we can get more experience. That's the only reason I like to finish in the playoffs. Like, otherwise, I'm like, as long as we're playing at a good level, I don't mind. Like, win, loss, whatever. As long as we're learning things from every game, I'm okay. I'm good. That's, that's a great perspective to see the game because a lot of people can see the win-loss record. Um, we're going to get to playoffs. You know, we have to win every game. Uh, whereas you're looking as, you know, it's a transitional period. Uh, we need to get used to it. Um, as you said, you're excited for the next season, which definitely, once going through this kind of transitional season, uh, you s the results will show more, especially if they stay together and they build that chemistry even more. They, they understand the system. As you said, the more games you get, they, the more they, yeah. in a way, buy in and understand. Um, oh. And yeah, it, it sounds like it was a really good season, Coach. Um, and it's nice that you see it so talk about the positives off the court because I always am a coach that enjoys the journey. You know, I enjoy yeah. the process because it's not just, uh, yeah, everyone sees your, your win. Where are you? What division you are? You know, yeah. how many games did you win this season, etc. But to me, it's the stories off the court, the conversations that you have with players, that, that kind of bond you build because you see it evolve through the season. And yeah. especially with my players as well, we you know we argue, we have we have, you know we have disagreements, but ultimately when it comes together for the ultimate mm -hmm. goal, it's a beautiful thing in a way. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's it sounds like you you, you have a great experience at barking. Um, you mentioned mm. that you've been involved with GB, so um, it was the under 16s a national mm. Great Britain team. Um, can you yeah. talk more about your experiences with GB and and traveling across Europe and coaching the team? So, GB is one of the most polarizing experiences I've had in basketball because it is simultaneously the most fun, challenging experience, but it is so physically and mentally draining. It is unbelievable. Like, it takes a lot out of your body and your mind. And the, obviously the pressures and the stresses and and that's even when you're winning it's not like you're losing every game and that's why you're stressed like no 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 like when you're really trying to compete and be the best that you can be all the time it takes a lot out of you like for definite but it is the best experience in basketball like what let me not say the best it's really <laughs> really up there with it's the best there. experiences i've had in basketball like for sure like it's it's a it's a spectacular experience like Obviously, the first, well, both years I was with uh, Coach Kenrick. The first year was me, Adney, and Kenrick were like the coaching staff. And then the second year, me, Kenrick, and uh, Karen Burton were the coaching staff. Um, so it was a very, very cool experience. Um, the first year was very, because it was the first year Kenrick was the head coach, and it was the first year any of us had worked together in that capacity. Obviously, there was many a challenge. Like, that's is normal, isn't it? So, it was a challenge, but it was a great experience. Like, 
obviously I got to go to Montenegro with them. I didn't come into the program for like the tournament until really, really late because of some unforeseen circumstances. So I kind of stepped in kind of late to that experience, but it was a gift, so I can't really complain about it. Um, so I missed them. So I didn't go to the first camp in Manchester or go to Portugal with them, but I joined them in Colchester, Essex for the last camp before they went to the tournament. So I knew the girls because as I keep saying, I like watching basketball. So I actually drove to Manchester at Christmas to watch their selection camp. So I knew all the players anyway, because I'd been there watching practice and I knew Kenrick from Barking and stuff like that. So like I, I had like a lot of familiarity with the players. It wasn't like I was like, who's this? Who's that? Like I knew all the girls anyway. I just didn't have relationships with all of them like that. Um, so going in, it was pretty, I don't know if seamless is the right word, but like it was an easy fit to be honest. And Kenrick is very welcoming and Adney is a, a special character. So like it was very fun to um, work with them. Like, and the tournament was really good. Like it was, it was hard. Like it was a really hard tournament. And like, it was the first time I've seen the, what's the phrase? The day-to-day -day running of a tournament program, if that makes sense. Like, because the summer before that, I went to Ireland to watch um, the U18 girls with Vanessa Ellis was coaching because uh, Charlotte, Zoe and Flora and those girls was playing. So I was like, well, it's close. Let me go and watch. Because I was like, I want to get some experience and see what it's like. And it kind of helped prepare me because you get used to the, the schedule in terms of game, 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 day off, game, game, like that. Like, so you, I got that kind of experience. But when you go to the tournament, it's very different. Like the schedule is very intense. And it's a little bit different for players to coaches. But as a coach, you're pretty much working all the time. Like you have responsibilities that you have to do all the time. It's not like our oh, practice is done. You get to rest now. No, you've got to do the scout. You've got to do uh, the review from the game before. Like there's a lot of things that you have to do. So it's a, it's a bit, it's busy. Like, and you're just thinking all the time. Like, and I guess I was in more of a PA kind of position. So I guess because I didn't really have a lot of experience, my efficiency in time wasn't very good. So in the first year, me and Adney worked quite a lot together, working on the scout and the review that we delivered to the players the next day. So Adney's sleeping habits are very strange. So Adney just doesn't sleep, basically. So he'd be like, right, I'm going to watch this game and then I'm going to come to you with like the clips that we're going to need to pull. And then that gives you time to work on the review so you can cut the game and do whatever, all the other stuff that I need to do. So we kind of split the roles like that. But because Andy doesn't sleep, he'll be like, right, um, I'm just going to call you when I'm coming, like on the hotel phone. And it's like three in the morning and I've been asleep for like 30 minutes or something. And he's like, are you up? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. And that's just kind of what it is every day. So it's like you sleep and stuff, but obviously we have breakfast at whatever time you're told, not told, but you organize to have breakfast, but it's very dependent on the game schedule and practice and stuff. So it's like, we might, we might do video the night before, like me and Adney, and then we have breakfast at like 7.30. 
and then we might have practice at like nine that we have to be there so and then before we go to practice we have to do the video so i'm like sleep sort of breakfast and it's like it kind of became commonplace that i had my laptop at breakfast because i'm still cutting things and i'm very particular sometimes so i like things to look nice so like i'm cutting video at breakfast and then i'm eating breakfast really fast then going back to my room to make sure i can export the video in time blah blah, blah. like there are a million different things and then practice and then a game at one o'clock and then you start the whole process again and you're doing that three days at well you basically do it every day even on the off day you have stuff to do so like it's, it's an intense schedule but it's really fun for me it's a good challenge I mean, as you, as you mentioned, so many points to pay, um, working, say, <clears throat> coaching at that level, that's the top of the top, isn't it? Uh, in terms of national, so it's international, is it? So it's a FIBA under 16 tournament, correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's the European Championships, yeah. So, so as, as, as you said, um, looking at the structure of how the day-to-day goes, um, that is the top of the top for that age age group. So it's it's as you said intense because it's over say a three to five day period isn't it and you're constantly working non-stop um Mm. i can imagine the fatigue that you get you know uh, as much as players get tired of course because they're physically competing on court coaches we need our rest we need our brains to be at the best as well Mm. um and that's the difficult challenge as a coach um and i think again it's great to get the insights of of how these tournaments work and how the, the coaching works behind it. As you said, the stories of coaching coaches not sleeping, I, 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 I feel like I'm similar. Um, I, <laughs> my sleeping habits, habits are awful. And then I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm similar in a way that I'm a perfectionist. Of course, you want to yeah. cut the clips. The players may not even notice these little things, uh, how precise yeah. you've cut them, how much yeah. effort goes into it, but they're very appreciative. But it's the, yeah. the, the craft that you do your things. Um, and again, you mentioned the point of going up to Manchester, making sure that you're prepared because players prepare themselves, they stretch, you know, they eat well. Coaches prepare as well, doing scouting reports, watching game tape, seeing talent. So um, how's it like working? So you went up to Manchester. How's it like working with, with would you say, the top talents of, the, of, of Great Britain? Um, uh-huh. How were they receptive to you? You know, do you build that relationship with them? It's a short space of time. Do you still keep yeah. in contact with them? Um, so I guess there's a couple of different parts to that. So the first one, the Manchester camp that I went to, I obviously wasn't part of the staff at that time. I was just going to watch because watching is fun. So <laughs> like, so that in that setting, I only had interactions with a couple of the players because they were coming to Barking. So like I knew them and their parents and stuff like that. So I had some, like we had some relationship already, but other than that, I didn't really speak to many of the girls. Um, In terms of how they receive you, I think a lot of times young players are, are very open. Like they'll receive you in the way that you're portraying yourself. And me, I'm very, matter of fact let's say like if i think something generally speaking if you ask me i will tell you i'm not one of those people that i'll just go out of my way to tell you something but if you ask me don't be surprised if the truth is going to come out however it is it will come out so 
Like, I think players appreciate that in me. Like, that's kind of my personality. So I think they appreciate that. So it was very, what's the word? It was very easy for us to mold as a group, like to really bond. Like, it wasn't too difficult. Um, in terms of working with that talent level, I've been, obviously, being at Barking, I've been really lucky that we've had, like, Savannah, Armani, Abigail, Shanice Norton, um, Teresa De Silva, all these kids from, like, 13, 14 years old. So I'm used to working with talented players in that age group, if that makes sense. Like, not that I was their coach and they're the reason and that I'm, they're good and whatever. Like, no, no. Like, but I've worked with those players in a way that I'm like, okay, I understand some of the things they might be going through. Like, obviously it's a different context because it's Europeans, but like I have some awareness of, okay, this is what really good level talent looks like. And in the national team, that's what they will look like essentially. So in that regard, it was quite easy for me to adjust, I suppose. In terms of relationships, like, I don't think there's, a player that I don't have some form of relationship with on the national team, like, or not even just the national team, really. Like, if we've worked together in any capacity ever, you kind of are just in my family immediately. Like, there's some, there's some national team players that I speak to every day, for example. Like, we speak a lot because that's just mm -hmm. how our relationship is. And there's some other players that I speak to every two or three months, you know? Like, there's one girl that's in Spain that we don't speak, like, every day or anything, but we have, like, a very good relationship, if that makes sense. And then, like, but that's kind of how I am with all of our players. Like, when they go to America and stuff, I speak to them, like, a lot. And, like, for me, those relationships are really important. Like, building those relationships with those people is kind of, is a special thing. And not everyone gets to experience it. So I try to maximize it to the best of my ability, I guess. There's a saying, you know, great players want to be coached, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So uh, when you coach at that, say, high level or anywhere, people that always want to improve and want to be uh, better at their craft, they're always going to respect the coach and always try to work with it in a way mm -hmm. uh, to be better. So it's great to hear those stories. And I definitely agree, Tope, you say it how it is. So uh, knowing you as well, <laughs> um, it's not a surprise when you said that at all. But it's yeah. a... It's a great thing because, as I said, they want to be coached. They want to be told um, uh, how to be better, how they can be a better teammate, how they can improve individually, or how they can just be better off the court. As you said, it's building those relationships um, that you have with those players, um, not just in your GB team, but all the teams that you coach. Like you said, um, yeah. you always have an impact in their lives. They always rem remember that uh, you're you coaching them at one point, which is... Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing. So uh, going on and moving now on to probably a topic I'm more familiar with. So being a box yeah. coach, I remember when, yeah. you when I found out you were a box coach, um, I was actually like, wow, you've joined the team now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's your opinion on, on box? Because when I, I believe um, you joined UEL, so Tope yeah. joined U University of East London Women's Programme at 2016, 2017. You were probably in a not probably, but you were in a very low division in terms of quality. Uh, things that you may have been like yeah. surprised to after coming from a program at Barking Abbey. Yeah. So uh, before we move on to, to more of the UEL stuff, your overview on Bucks as coaching at pretty much every level 
in basketball yeah. England. Um, do you think it's growing? Do you think it's evolving? Do you think it's a, a good platform for players to look at and progress in? So, I guess part of that answer is, I before I was at UEL, I actually worked at the University of Bedfordshire on the Luton campus. So I coached at an even lower level than, well, I don't know, well, a similar level to the first year at UEL as well. So I had some experience of like working in the lower divisions of Bucks. I would say about Bucks that it is a spectacular thing to have, like a resource for our players to have because understanding i guess it's difficult if you're british to understand that in america once you're done with college you either play professional or you're done essentially like there's there's leagues and stuff like that but it's not widespread in the way that boxes because a lot of players come from the states to come and play in england because you can just keep playing essentially like for them, it's another year or two years to keep playing. So it's kind of good in that sense. And I think the level is obviously in premier, the level is, is decent. Like it's decent, but it's not, obviously I'm working on the women's side at the moment. So it's not the same level as the WBBO because of the depth of the talent. And I would, from watching coach uh, Greenway's practices and games and stuff, I would say the same on the men's side. They obviously have BBL talent in the teams, but it's the depth of talent in every roster, I would say, is the difference. But it's, the Premier Division is good. The, the divisions below that, in women's, the, it, it tails off very quickly. Like, it's, it's kind of incredible how fast the level drops off, which is more a thing, I think, about the way that we coach players and stuff than anything else. But like the level drops quite quickly. Like I would never expect a team in free a, or for example, to even compete with a one eighteen. Like I just would never expect that, you know? So the level is good, but the, it drops off the level very quickly. And I would say the same of men's, like I would say it's maybe one tier of more competitive level. But then after that, I think the level drops quite quickly as well, which is normal. Like, that's the way that tiered structures work, I guess. I, I agree. Um, in terms of, as you said, the Prem teams, you're going to get WBBO and BBL players, correct, playing in yeah. that divisions. Um, and uh, there is a lack of consistency in terms of quality and actual um, like the teams, there's only, for example, there's only six teams in a division, um, yeah. and uh, it's it's a uh, to me, uh, it's evolving. So I think it will definitely grow over the years. Uh, the standard of and the the amount of players actually travelling, as you mentioned, coming into UK now to study, um, yeah. is is actually increasing there's more awareness yeah. of it and there's more talent coming through uh, yeah. which we'll probably definitely talk about uh when we touch on uel um more in your later years so when yeah. you first started with uel uh, it was around 2016 2017 yeah. um you're taking over a program which has a lot of potential because of the, the facilities and resources the university have um yeah. You helped guide the team to promotion in your first season. Uh, 
again, probably looking more at the player management side rather than yeah. the, the actual coaching and the X and O's. Um, now yeah. you're in the first division, you see a bit more increase. Um, what was it like coaching at UEL and your experiences in your first two seasons? So when I got to UEL, it was obviously they were in a transitional period because uh, JP just left and he was running the program before like men's and women's like he was overseeing the program so then he left and i came in and i guess josh came in as well a guy from scotland um so we both came in at the same time and he was actually i was actually at dan's camp because they run it we were running a uel so i was at dan's camp and i emailed uel and i was like because uh, initially they were advertising it as the same role as JP's. So you were the head of basketball, essentially. So you were responsible for doing everything. And I emailed and I was like, is there a second team or another team that is possible that I can coach, essentially? So I emailed then and then Matt, uh, Matt came from upstairs, because like, Matt's office is like on the balcony. And he walked downstairs and he knew Mark already. And he was like, oh, introduce us. So then we got talking. He was like, oh, yeah, we have a position for women's, if you want. Like, we're trying to develop it, blah, blah, blah. So then that's kind of how I ended up working there at all. So then the first year we had, because they had players coming in already from the States, like on scholarships, because the way they did scholarships at the time was a little different than how we do it now. But essentially, we had uh, so we had Tanika and Whitney, who are two Americans, and then we had Ashai, who's from Brixton, like she was playing for Brixton Topcats at the time, and then we had Alex and I don't know if Zara was there the first year. No, uh, Alex, Ray Parker, who I would guess maybe you know, and Kay Parker, the physio. So they were on the team as well. Like we had a cool team, like, and for that level. We were very good, obviously. And then we added some other people, like another American from the university was like, can I play? So she joined as well. So then our team was pretty loaded for that level. Like we lost the game that year, which was good for us. Like it's always good to lose one, I think. But um, So it kind of woke us up a little bit because we was obviously winning by 50, 60 points every game. So like when we had a competitive game, finally, it was a bit of a shock, I guess. So, but it was, it was good. Like we played Bucks Uni for the promotion spot, which was fun. That's the team who we lost to as well, like earlier in the season in the cup. And then we uh, beat them in the league twice. So that was good for us. Like that was good fun. Got to get promoted. That was good. Like I speak to, well, quite a few of them girls still because they're kind of around in the world of basketball. So that's cool. And then it kind of took off from there. Like those divisions is not tough if you have players, really. So I didn't really do anything. But the second year, I also didn't really do anything because <laughs> we had Ursula on the team. Like that year, our team was like really good. Like we had Alex and Ursula and Zara's first year, Brenda's first year. We still had a shy. Like our team was pretty good. Like we were just very tall across the board. And Ursula's a fantastic athlete, so we we pretty much dominated, but dominated in that really frustrating way that we're winning the game, but I'm mad because we're not winning the game in a way that I like. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, 
it's frustrating for me as a coach i'm like because there's no challenge it's hard for me to be like holding the players to an account because they can do what they want and still have success you know what i mean so it was frustrating for me and they were winning so you can't just be mad all the time if they're still winning everything so yeah but it was the same that season we lost one game so we lost one game to i guess we lost to bournemouth did we lose to bournemouth we lost to someone i can't remember who it was now we lost one game and then we played one of the best games in my time at UEL. We played a double overtime game against Bournemouth Uni in the season that we won at home. Oh yeah, I guess we lost to Bournemouth away. I think that's what happened. And then we played Bournemouth for the last playoff spot to get promoted to the Premier. And by that time, we kind of were focused because the double overtime game was the most stressful experience. Like It was very stressful, but it kind of made the girls realize, okay, we actually need to be focused. So then when we played them in the playoff game, we won and it was pretty easy, to be honest. Like we played very well and we were just, we played to our potential. Let me say that. It was cool. And then after that, we've been in the Premier, chilling with Lavinia and Zara and a lot of the girls from the first year we got promoted. So it's been good. It's been good. And, and University of Bournemouth actually have been pulling quite a bit of money into their athletes yeah. as well. They've got a few athletes on scholars, American yeah. athletes coming in. Um, overviewing what you just mentioned, coach, um, 2016, 2017, uh, you won the division two, uh, 27, 2018. Um, you won the first division. I, I believe I'm trying to follow the track. Uh, you beat, yeah. you won the, the playoff to get into yeah. premiership. Um, you also, I believe this year, you awarded the coach of the year at UEL, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was. I was. Uh, I, you know, I was you, you, that, like. you, you know, you know why I laughed earlier? Because you said, um, <laughs> you said, I didn't do anything for the first two years. No, you were just, you're just so humble. But I can, I, I can imagine you getting awarded the coach of the year. <laughs> but it's nice to get the, the recognition from the university, no? Uh, it's always I, nice I to guess. get that. For me, it's <laughs> like, it's more important that the girls are successful and are enjoying their experience and stuff like that. The coach of the year award is funny because <laughs> I, I almost didn't go to the awards. Like, I was going to say, did you turn uh, up yeah. to the award? <laughs> I was... Uh, like and the girls know I like things like that is just not for me like I don't like obviously I didn't know I was gonna win it but like I just awards in general that <laughs> if it was just for the team I'd be like All right, I can make the exception and I had a feeling they would win it as a team because we got promoted back to back years and we went to the prem for the first time ever and stuff like that so like I had a feeling we had a good shot of winning it but the coach of the year one I was a bit like Oh, it's, it's I didn't do anything so I'm like yeah I subbed people in and out and stuff like that but I didn't actually do anything like the players are very good so we should win so like it's weird for me to accept an award like that I guess um yeah I was actually mentioned if you were going did you actually turn up so I'm glad you did um, yeah. I'm glad you're getting the recognition because <laughs> at the end of the day there is a, a leader at the top coach and then you're the one leading these girls into games every every 
every week at leading practice sessions. Again, the results speak for itself. Two box championship in two years, getting the girls to Prem. What is, I know we touched on Prem and the quality of it, but what was it like for UEL to step into the Premiership division? How have you been doing since then? Have you managed to get like the, the first place, the second places that you're looking for in winning records? Or just describe a bit more about being in Prem. Because I always believe once you're in Prem, that's mm. the most important thing. Um, yeah. especially if you want to build a program win or lose yeah. um, to me yeah. you just need to be able to play with what I call like the big boys and play with the, the universities because yeah. your players will improve the experience will mm. improve and the caliber mm. uh, of, of like you said the oppositions are much mm. better you're playing against pro people so what's it like to be in that because UBL women's have never been at Prem at that time isn't it yeah they've never they never played in the Prem no. so the first year was to be honest, for me, it wasn't like a big adjustment. It was more exciting because it's like we're actually playing real games. So for me, I'm like, okay, finally, we're on track. We lost the first, what did we lose? The first three games. We played Cardiff the first game and we got smoked. They destroyed us. They dismantled us. Like our girls weren't really ready. There's a lot of different reasons for why we weren't ready, but at the end of the day, we didn't compete hard enough. So that kind of was a spanner in the works. But it's all right. It's the first year and whatever. So we lost to them. We lost to Essex. And we lost to... Oh, there's one other team. Or did we beat Hearts? I think we ended up with three losses somehow. I can't remember who we lost to, but... I... Is it Hearts? Maybe it was Hertfordshire, yeah. Maybe it was Hertfordshire we lost to. So we lost to those three teams. And then by the end of the season, we beat everyone apart. No, we beat Essex in the end, I think. Yeah, so we beat Essex at home, which put us joint second with Cardiff. But Cardiff obviously beat us by more the first time. So we, um, we ended up finishing third. And then the same thing happened this season. We actually beat Essex the first game. We lost to Cardiff again which is so annoying at home so we lost to Cardiff again and then we ended up in a tying with them again in points for second place but they beat us in the first game so then we lost again and ended up third so we've had like good seasons but it we need to beat Cardiff at some point would be great like we played really well away at Cardiff like we played really good and obviously it's difficult because we had a lot of roster turnover so it was different and we were adjusting a lot, but we played really well in Cardiff. So I weren't really stressed about it, but like we had a, a rocky season this season. Like it was a bit up and down. We were very inconsistent and stuff, but like, it was good fun. It was good fun. Talking. Um, Cause I, I, <clears throat> I always talk with, with my players and um, you've seen the growth from UEL from where it first started like, with the women's mm. team. I remember, because my team's got a few promotions over the years, I remember speaking to one of my players um, and I said, are you happy to be playing at higher divisions? Um, and he must have told me, he must have just said, and I always remember this, he's like, coach, look where we are now. You know, mm. we, were playing at, we were playing at, I believe, City Sport at the time. Mm. So I always say, when you start at the bottom, you know, as you grow into the, say, the box divisions, you start mm. going to different arenas and different places, isn't it? So, like you said, yeah. you're going to Cardiff, you're traveling more with your team, you're going to Hearts, yeah. and you're mentioning teams and universities which are 
pretty much sports universities, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and the quality level is going to improve. The facilities that you play in, I remember playing in Division Three, and we're just like, whoa, you know, they can't even run out of court for two hours. You know, it's not even their facilities. Yeah. Yeah. So um, speak about that transition of going into Prem, you know, spending more time with your team because you're on the road a lot in a way because yeah. you're playing cup games. Uh, was that, was that, beneficial to you as a coach because you're spending more time with them I know you spend time with them on the court training as well but yeah. off court as well that must have been quite good um yeah I guess my situation is different than most because because a lot of the girls play uh, WBBL or division one with me we're together like seven days a week mm. every week so we're very familiar with each other let's say yeah. like <laughs> so even like bus journeys we might have three like games in a week so we're on the bus all the time anyway like so there's a lot of I guess social time between us lot and there's like because I like to walk around and stuff I end up talking to players here there and everywhere anyway so like we're together all the time so we're pretty close in that sense I guess mm. like in terms of facilities and stuff it's definitely like some of the gyms we were playing in in the first years I was like <laughs> oh my good lord like I remember like um a shy that was playing with us at the time obviously she's like used to it and stuff but she's still like she's like a more mature player so she was like I don't know if I how much I can play on this floor it's like the conditions are really important for them kinds of players like you know when you're younger like if all our team was like 20 something like early 20 somethings then they're gonna complain but they can do it they can play but like when you're playing on that concrete floor and you're approaching <laughs> 30 years old like it can become problematic you know so it's like like you notice the difference very quickly and in england we don't have a lot of facilities that have really good floors like we have more than before but not loads and that have like good space around the court and stuff like that so like it was noticeable when we were going up through the ranks that the level of the courts most of the time was improving i guess and people um don't really see that side of it because the aesthetics in a way you know the way the the court the feel um especially these players that that come from ncaa programs you know i've been asked a question because i've coached some players that come from america you know What's it like introducing your court um, to these athletes that come that probably played in front of thousands of people you know, they get training facilities, game facilities? Mm. And I told them, I can't really answer that question for you because yeah. um, I, I can only give uh, what we have in terms of a program. But mm. it, it is important to the athletes, I believe. Um, yeah, and it is sure. important because it makes a difference. And it, it, it it gives more attraction to your program too as well because mm. uh, you're playing in Prem, you know, you play at UEL Sports Stock, uh, Olympic venue training uh, uh, centre. Um, mm. And it's, 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 to me, it's all part of building a program. Would you agree? Like having, uh, trying to attract athletes um, mm. and on that side of recruitment, speak more about that side, like the admin side mm. of UEL. Um, how do yeah. you find that side? Because that's probably what you're not used to at, say, Barking because they have a structure of people that, that do that already, correct? And then with UEL, you, you kind of have to build your own brand yeah, in a way. Like there is more, what's the phrase? I guess I'm in the phase that Mark and Lloyd were in in the first couple of years at Barking. 
where you're trying yeah. to build an identity and a program and that kind of stuff. Mm. So, um, yeah, you're right in that sense for sure. Um, in terms of what you were saying, like recruitment wise, it's very, I'm very transparent. So like when I'm speaking to recruits and stuff like that, I'm like the gyms that we're going to be playing in are not five star. There's going to be some all right ones like us and hearts and Essex and Cardiff are like obviously really good. Like, cause a lot of those are newer facilities. So we're okay. But then there's other games that we'll play that will be in like smaller than any high school gym that you've ever played in, like at home. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. So don't be surprised if that's the case. But then I, I try to explain that that's, that's a good reflection of the league in the sense that the f- not the facilities match the team, but that that's kind of how the league is structured. You might have four really good teams and then the bottom two teams are not very good. And the facilities might be exactly the same. You might have four really good facilities and two facilities are, are bad, you know? And it's like just explaining that and the level and, the difference in competition level and those kind of things is like important, I guess, for them. Because obviously they're coming from a different structure of education is important, but sports are very important, you know? And the ones that are transitioning from that into masters, for me personally, I'm like, you're transitioning into a different phase of your life and career, you know? Like at this point, maybe you're not going to play professionally but you're going to have opportunities playing the WBBL and get a master's degree. So we have to make sure that your master's is properly, like properly, properly taken care of. Like we can't make mistakes in that area because that is the rest of your life. Basketball's not going to be the rest of your life, you know? So like masters is a lot of things that I use to help persuade players, I guess, if that makes sense. That's a, that's a great, um, great way of looking at it coach because it's always about the student athlete isn't it they you hear it all the time but um, a master's degree in america is invaluable um it's 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 expensive to do a master's degree over there anyway which is why a lot of the the athletes come here um want to continue playing as you mentioned um and then you again building that connections and that uh uh, the partnerships with the clubs that you have, which allows them to kind of compete as well at the national league mm. level, as you mentioned, yeah. Right? Mm. Uh, yeah. which is enticing in a way because they're doing a they're they're, con- they're in a way having a big risk, taking a big risk to come to London because mm. you know more probably more student loans, you know, uh, especially the ones from America, um, mm. being away from family, etc., just to to kind of pursue it. Um, it's great that to me, this is what makes Bucks potentially a, a strong pa- platform and it can build yeah. even more because yeah. there is an opportunity for these athletes to grow and have oh. places to, to even, like you said, play in the WBBL, even oh. play pro in Europe as well. If they, you know, with the right, um, with the right people and the right support behind them. And if they're talented enough, they can get to that level. So I think it's great what UEL are doing um, and what you're doing with them. Uh, what's kind of your plans in the future? Where do you see the program leading? Um, and what, what's kind of your visions behind UEL now that you're so, at the top? So I'll just touch on something you said there as well, because it's quite interesting. Like, I think now more than ever, like from a UEL perspective, 
we have girls going from UEL to play professionally in Europe, which is obviously really good. Fantastic. Like Tanika, who was with us before, and Ursula, who had a career before she came to UEL, but then went to play in Spain afterwards. So that's good. Like, it's great for them. And I, I really would say Loughborough are leading the way in that. Like, they're producing a lot of... Maybe producing is the wrong word. They are helping to guide a lot of their players on a journey that allows them to arrive at a professional level by the end, is the way that I'll put it. So I would say they're the, they're the, even though they're my competition, I guess, but it doesn't matter, it's the truth. And they're like, <laughs> they're leading the way in that regard, for sure. Like, I really, like, they are essentially the model of how to build a university program in every sport, yes. because obviously Loughborough is Loughborough, it? so like, they're doing a lot and I, and I shout out Mark Jarum like a lot because he's done a lot for that program. Him, Joe Pynchon, like those guys have done a lot to build that program to a point where they're producing that level of talent with the right level of exposure. So I'll say, let me say that because I had to get that out because no, it's course. important, I think, mm. you know. Um, in terms of the future with UEL, we've got to win. We've got to win something, mm. you know, like, yeah, we need to get better, blah, blah, all that good stuff. That's lovely. But <laughs> at some point, finishing third is not going to cut it. Like, we need yeah. to win something, you know? Like, because this year, like, it was kind of a tale of two teams. Like, we had a lot of the same core group last year and this year in the playoffs. Last year, we went to Durham, and we were horrific. Like, I ain't never seen a performance as, as weak as that, to be honest. Like, we had a couple, one, two players played really well, and some others were not ready for that moment, you know? Like, and I've spoken to them about it and stuff, but this year, when we went to Edinburgh, was a much different experience. Like, we lost, but we played great. Like, we played very well. Like, we had some periods where we, our weaknesses showed and we lost the game or whatever, but, like, we had such a great performance. It's encouraging for me because it means we're moving forwards. You know, and it's important that we move forwards again next year and we don't just make it to that round of the playoffs and then lose again, like in the same way. Because we win the first round and then the second round, we've lost both years. So it's important we push to get to the final next year. And if we get to the final, we might as well win it. So for me, that's the next step forward, I guess. I mean, it's, it's all about progress, coach, isn't it? Um, yeah. as, you, as you mentioned, you've, you've had the years of being in Prem. You know that you can bat it battle it out with the teams there you know um, mm. you're finishing third mid-table you're not in the spot to get relegated or go back to division one so mm. definitely I can see the 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 way it evolves it naturally will be fighting for the title and getting that playoff spot as well isn't it um, and, yeah. and progressing through the playoffs sorry uh, which mm. is um, great great targets to set especially for a university such as UEL um, who is uh, a top university in London. Um, also mentioning the Loughborough program is, you know, what they do all round, even with the men's program as well. Yeah. As you can see, all of them, uh, a lot of the players that have uh, alumni is coming from there playing BBL, playing in Europe. Yeah. Um, the, not just that, the coaches actually that started yeah. at Loughborough, I've actually coached against a few uh, that are running their own programs elsewhere. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of very, very similar to how Abby have you know yeah. the coaches that start there and then they they find their own and actually take their knowledge and take the experiences and pass that on and i think that that's going to evolve 
the, and, and grow the, the, the community and the basketball talent. Would you agree? In just coaching and playing as well, it's, it's getting better, the quality. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I think Bucks has kind of become a breeding ground for better levels of coaching, I think. Like, especially in the Premier Divisions, like, I think it gives coaches a lot of good extra reps. Whereas in National League, you're once a week. Bucks gives you the opportunity to coach two games a week. So essentially, you're getting just double the amount of reps that you were getting before at a good level, you know, where you can actually make tactical adjustments and, and use your individual workouts to work on techniques that you can transfer into practice, that you can transfer into a game. Like, these are the things that is difficult if you only coach once a week, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, I think it's helping to accelerate the development of some coaches, I think, which is a fantastic thing. And what you mentioned, you know, the tactical adjustments, for example, that double overtime game, that must have been, mm. to me, uh, not many coaches go into double overtime, that's the truth. And what you have yeah. to do in those certain situations, to me, is mm. valuable experience. Um, you, can't, yeah. you can't teach that and you have mm-hmm. to actually go through, especially if it's at a good quality standard as well. Yeah. Um, so I think it's been, it's been great catching up, Coach. I think um, you've touched on everything um, that we yeah. really wanted to go through today. Um, mm-hmm. More importantly, kind of uh, shout out, I know that you, you mentioned before you do a lot of projects on the side, some one-to-one mm-hmm. coaching. Shout out what, um, what things you're working on at the moment. Mm. So... I have to give a shout out to Elite Jova in Spain because uh, they're real ones. And Next MVP, like, they helped me with coaching so much. Probably, I've never had such an intensive basketball experience in my life, so I always have to shout them out. Um, like Oscar De Pola and those guys over there in Badalona, like, all the respect. Um, so that's one. Um, at the moment, because of lockdown i've been doing a lot of video work for barking which i don't know by the time this comes out that video might have come out or is coming out i don't know but we'll see so i've been working on that like a lot but the biggest projects i'm working on at the moment i'm trying to what's the phrase i'm looking for reinvent basketball where i live in a way that's going to produce more female players is my objective so I'm working with like the uh, Active Essex to try and get a project off the ground coming out of lockdown that's going to allow players to practice more than once a week, essentially. Like get more girls involved in schools, like secondary schools and things like that, and help to grow basketball in Essex, especially where I live, again. Because I think it's taken a bit of a, it's a bit, it's taken a step, not necessarily back, but it hasn't moved forward for a while, you know? So I think it's important that us as coaches in the area are taking responsibility to push it forwards, like when we can. And obviously lockdown's given me a lot of time to work on those things so that I'm delivering a proper project and we're not just rushing something out and just doing it for a bit of money or whatever, like trying to really build something with the free secondary schools in my area to really get a good number of girls playing basketball. So that's probably the biggest thing that I'm working on. And obviously, well, when we get courts back again, like all the workouts and stuff that I'll be doing, we'll be back and I'll be back with all the girls and stuff. And it will be nice. That'll be nice, to be honest. I'll be missing the girls, like working out mm-hmm. and stuff, because that's summertime activities right there. That's yeah. what we'll be doing. 
It's going to get real, real busy, Coach, um, soon. Um, it's just before we go, just touch on what you mentioned. You know, great initiatives that you meant uh, that you that you mentioned in your, you know, you just said now. Um, it goes back to our original points in the beginning of the podcast. You know, involving the upcoming generation, involving the communities, the schools around yeah. you. Um, yeah. Where can we find out more? When would it be live? That initiative that you mentioned is it already? ongoing or is it going so to be so it's, it's not live at the moment because it's obviously it's impossible to book anywhere at the moment mm. so really that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks that we have at the moment is uh, what facility can we get and when can we get it from and can we operate in the way that i want the product to operate like it's kind of the logistical issues we're having at the moment but like the whole program if everything is very successful would begin in September, like the start of the school year. But obviously in terms of uh, doing the workouts and stuff where I live, as soon as the hall is open, we're going to be in there basically. Because mm. a lot of the girls have obviously been asking me and stuff. And so like, I'm trying to facilitate a facility as soon as humanly mm. possible. It seems like they're opening up a bit more, but in my area, it seems like no one's replying to emails at the moment. So I've got to figure that one out still. But <laughs> yeah, like hopefully by September, I'm hoping everything is off the ground. Like, and we're starting to roll in the right direction. That's what I'm hoping. It sounds good, coach. I think everyone has the itch to get back into the game, but you know, it's all about as you as you as you mentioned, the right protocols, following the right regulations, isn't it? And making sure that everything's in place. Um, and it's all about timing as well. But coach, yeah. again, uh, thank you for coming on today. It's been so insightful. You know, you've worked with top programs in the UK, worked with GB. It's great to actually share those knowledge, those stories that you have, and um, building a, a university program from scratch as well to where it is now. It's truly inspiring. Um, yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll, I'll be following your journey for next uh, next season and your upcoming projects, and we'll catch yeah. up soon, Coach. Yeah. Is there any last definitely. thoughts that you want to say? Um, you good? Well, more than anything, one, thanks for doing this. All, the, all these kind of podcasts and stuff is only good for our basketball community. You know, like making those connections between people is a very, for our specific basketball community, very important. So thanks for that. Obviously, I have to shout out all the coaches and stuff like that I've worked with. They're giving me opportunities because there's a lot of them. So I'm not going to name all of them, innit? But like obviously all of the Abbey Nation, big shout out to them because yeah, they be supporting me all the time in it. So yeah, other than that, like everyone be safe, enjoy life. It's tough times out there, innit? But try and smile a little bit. Definitely, definitely. All right, coach, take care. It's all been right, cool. a pleasure. Yeah, all the best. Yeah, thank you. See ya. 